You are going to need a Bible this morning, so uh, either have your Bible app handy or grab a Bible uh, close by. There's uh, a little bit of an outline in the bulletin. This morning is a little bit different than a typical Sunday morning. Uh, Those of you who have been around Emmanuel for a little while know that uh, every year or every other year we take the first Sunday of the year just to stop and to think about where we are as a church, where we've been as a church, where we're going as a church. Uh, It's a little bit different than a typical Sunday. A typical Sunday, uh, as far as the sermon goes, we pick a passage, we dig in, we plow through it, we try to think about how that passage might apply to our lives. This morning we're going to look at a number of passages as we think back on 2020, and then we're going to talk about how the Lord has been good to us as a church, and uh, we're going to put our faith in Him as we move forward as a church family. So a little bit out of the ordinary, but something I think that's important for us to do. We call this the State of the Church Address, which is obviously a play on uh, the phrase State of the Union Address. The Constitution uh, in Article 2, Section 3 says, the President shall from time to time give to Congress information of the state of the union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. And that plays out in the scene that looks like this, uh, crowded room, joint session of Congress. Uh, Everyone's crammed in there. It's an opportunity for the president to talk uh, to the Congress gathered together. And you know, you've seen these on television, it's really an opportunity for the president to speak to the American people. Since the advent of television, this has become more ritualistic and it's, it's really a made-for-TV event and there's theatrical entrances and introductions and there's always interesting drama about who claps and who doesn't clap and who stands and who doesn't stand and who smiles and who frowns or who does other ridiculous things in the midst of the speech. Hopefully you're not going to tear up your notes this morning or frown at me or give me a thumbs down or anything like that. Uh, All I want to do is to look back on 2020, to think about some of the things we've learned, and then to look forward uh, to 2021 and think about where our church might be headed. As I do that, I just want to acknowledge almost the futility in something like this, because about 12 months ago, I had pastor friends who stood up January 2020 to do something similar, and they had a catchy title, 2020 Vision for 2020. And they thought, I can see this upcoming year in the life of our church very clearly. And in hindsight, I don't think any of them would have claimed to have had 2020 vision for the year 2020. I don't think any of us had any idea of all of the nonsense that has happened over the last year. I mean, it's just been an absolutely crazy year on so many levels, regardless of how you feel about this issue or that issue. It's just been a really strange year that none of us saw coming. So what I want to do is not try to predict exactly what's going to happen and when in 2021. I just want to think about where we've been as a church and think about some guiding principles as we move forward. Next week, we jump right back into normal. Let's dig into one text of scripture and study it and talk about it. This morning, there's several things I think we should just acknowledge, things that we learned last year, the first of which is that God is sovereign and we are not. God is in control. God has a plan. God knows the future. 
God's not wringing his hands. God doesn't get caught off guard. God isn't uncertain about what's going to happen next or when it's going to happen. He's not uncertain about if the Cowboys are going to win or going to lose. I got that one wrong just a week ago. I mean, God's in control. He's sovereign, and we aren't. We're not. 2020 has taught us that. Uh, It's reminded me over and over again about the book of Proverbs chapter 16. If you have your Bible open, look at Proverbs 16. I just want you to see three verses in this chapter that remind us of the sovereignty of God. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We make plans. Many of you made plans in 2020. You made vacation plans and school plans and sports plans and we made church plans. All of us could tell stories about things that we had planned to do and the Lord gave a different answer. The Lord is sovereign. Look at Proverbs 16 verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. My life is probably a lot like yours. At each stage in my life, I thought I could look forward and know what the next five to ten years would bring. And in hindsight, I was always wrong. There was always something that was not quite what I expected or not at all what I expected. And that was certainly true of last year. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Look at verse 33, the last verse in Proverbs 16. The lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. Even something as seemingly random as a roll of the dice falls under the absolute, total sovereignty of the Lord. God is sovereign and we aren't. Each one of you could sit down with me and say, here's what I had planned for 2020. And each one of you could say, this got canceled, this got canceled, This got canceled. This got canceled. We make plans, but it's the Lord who establishes our steps. We plan our way, but the Lord gives the answer. Even the seemingly random chance things in life fall under the sovereignty of God. 2020 reminded us of that. Secondly, I think 2020 reminded us that we live in a fallen, broken, groaning world. That's a biblical word, a groaning world. I've thought about this passage over and over and over again this year. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Paul talks about life in this world, life in a fallen world, a broken world. He describes it as life in a world where we are groaning and where creation itself is groaning. Look at Romans 8 beginning in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." 
you know, 2020 taught us that life on this earth is never what we wished it would be. It's just not the place that we're going to find ultimate happiness and ultimate joy and ultimate satisfaction and no ultimate lasting peace. There's a sense in which we're just groaning living in this present creation, waiting and longing and hoping for something better. And I love Romans 8 because Paul is honest about it. He doesn't try to just pretend like everything's okay. He just admits, like, life right now is marked by futility, thorns, thistles, the sweat of our brow, pain, frustration, disappointment. All of those things could be descriptive words for the year 2020, and Paul acknowledges it. He acknowledges that we live in a groaning world, that we ourselves groan, but he also acknowledges that we have hope. It's not like we just sit around and say, life's terrible, everything's terrible, I feel terrible, but we groan with hope. We long for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. We long for the return of Jesus. We long for the day when the creation is made new. We long for the day where the curse is fully and finally lifted. We have hope in these things, even though now we wait. And as we wait, we groan. What did 2020 teach us? One more lesson. I'll just mention one more. We could go on and on. 2020 taught us that church is essential. Church is essential. Meeting together as the people of God, with the people of God, really does matter. Cameras are great. Facebook Live is great. Live streaming is great. We had some people who were homesick. They joined us online this morning. Uh, All this digital technology and our phones and our iPads and our MacBooks and all the rest of it, all that stuff's great. But watching a church service on a screen, while it might be better than nothing, is not the same as being together with the people of God for the Christian. It's just not the same. I've talked in recent weeks with uh, one of our older church members, a lady who, not because of COVID, just because of health, hasn't been able to be here at church for over a year. And she just said, I just miss being there. I just want to be there. I just want to sit in my Sunday school class. I want to be with those ladies. I appreciate the cards. The cards are nice. Uh, Her daughter has got her set up. She's 95 years old. She watches the live stream every week. She says, I love the live stream. But it's not the same as being together with the people of God. There's a study that came out in recent weeks. It was a study that polled all Americans at the end of 2020, just a cross-section of Americans. And they had one question in the poll. At the end of 2020, do you feel better or worse? Better or worse, that's it. Compared to January to December, you feeling better about things or worse about things? They asked that one question, they tabulated all the answers, and then they started breaking it out into cross-sections. And they said, what did men say? Well, men said they felt worse. What did the ladies say? Worse. What did people who went to college say? Worse. What did people who didn't go to college say? Worse. What did people who make over this dollar amount say? Well, they feel worse. What about people who don't have much money at all? They don't make hardly anything. Well, they feel worse. What about people who live in a big city? They feel worse. What about people who live in a small community? Worse. 
one and only one group of people said, I feel better about things at the end of the year. The only cross-section of Americans who were more optimistic felt better about life at the end of the year were people who went to church regularly. It's the only one. It shouldn't surprise us. The Bible actually tells us that church is essential. Take your Bible and look at Hebrews chapter 10. What we see confirmed in a, a secular study is really an old principle in the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10. There's a little phrase in Hebrews 10 that we sometimes focus on to the exclusion of what comes right before it and right after it. Look at Hebrews 10 verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's the part we focus on sometimes. Don't neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The middle principle is important. Don't neglect to meet together. Church is essential. You need to be together with the people of God. Look, if you're sick with anything, stay home. We don't want your flu. We don't want your cold. We don't want your coronavirus. We don't want your strep. We don't want any of that stuff. But if you can come to church and be together with the people of God, by all means, don't settle for a laptop screen or a cell phone screen. Be together with God's people. Why? book of Hebrews tells us, verse 24, we have to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. When you meet together with the people of God, there is a special encouragement to be loving and to pursue good works, not to be mean and spiritually lazy. That's what we all default towards, meanness and laziness. So we meet together to stir one another up to love and good works. Look at verse 25. We have to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There ought to be encouragement when you gather together for worship with the people of God. As we sing things that are true, as we read things that are true, as you have fellowship with other believers, there ought to be encouragement that Jesus is coming back. In fact, today is closer to the return of Jesus than yesterday was. And as Christians, we want to endure Regardless of what 2020 was like, regardless of what 2021 might be like, we want to endure until Jesus comes back. If that's going to happen, we need to encourage one another. We've got to stir one another, one another up to love and good works. Now, that's one side of the coin. 2020 has reminded us that church is essential. Here's the other side, okay? 2020 has also reminded us what is essential at church, our church is no different than any other church. Churches just tend to get busy a lot of times with stuff. And sometimes it's not bad stuff. Sometimes it's just stuff that's not really essential stuff. And this year has forced a lot of churches to say, what is it that we really have to do? Right? We're, we're cutting this, we're cutting that. What is it that we're really supposed to be doing when we gather Together, And I think there's a great answer in the Bible. Look at the book of Acts, chapter 2. Luke gives us this description of the early church. It's a very simple church. There's not a lot of busy schedules. There's not a lot of detailed programs. There's not a lot of uh, long, drawn-out church history that they're trying to live up to. Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Bible teaching. That's essential at church, Bible teaching. 
they devoted themselves to fellowship, having a shared mission and a shared relationship with the people of God. That's essential. To the breaking of bread and the prayers, to having fellowship with God's people, a lived-out relationship with God's people, not just in this room, but over the lunch table, over the dinner table, to praying together, not just for each other, but actually with each other. That's something that's essential. Luke says, when they did this stuff, awe came upon every soul. The wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. We're not going to go in in a commune, but it is essential that we're in life together. We're not just in it for ourselves. We're not just in it for our own family, but we're in it together. They were selling and distributing uh, belongings and proceeds as any had need. Day by day they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. That's essential, being glad and generous as Christian people, not being grouchy and stingy, not being complainers or tight-fisted, but being glad and generous praising God and having favor with all the people. Worship is essential. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a reminder not only that church is essential, but it's a reminder of what is essential when we gather together for church. I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of stuff that happens in churches that isn't essential. Entertainment is not essential, at least at church. I'll just be honest with you. I'll tell you what you already know. We're bad at entertainment. We're not good. I'm the least entertaining public speaker you will ever listen to. You can do way better on YouTube, get on Netflix, watch some documentary on the History Channel. Way more entertaining. If you want entertainment, you look there. Find your favorite streaming service. We're not in the entertainment business. 2020 has reminded a lot of churches of that. We're not very good at entertaining people. Uh, we're not good at the performance game. I mean, we have a good band. These guys are great, the people who rotate and serve up here. But there's better bands. If it's just a band you want, you can find something better. Guess what? We're not trying to perform. We're not trying to be better. We're trying to lead you in worship. We're trying to talk to you about the things of God. There's some stuff at church that is not essential, and 2020 has reminded us in some ways what really is essential. Now, those are some things we learned. Let me just say a few things that pertain specifically to our church, thinking about the last year. Uh, I mention these things because in the Bible, there are plenty of calls for God's people to remember things, especially in the Old Testament. Remember who God is. Remember what God has done. And there are warnings and there's consequences when God's people forget who God is and they forget the things that he's done. So it's good for us as a church family, occasionally, maybe once a year, just to stop and to look back and to say, let's remember how God has been good to us over the last year. Okay? I just want to mention three things. Number one, giving. I just want to look back and I want to be thankful for the giving that took place at our church in the last year. By all outward accounts, the numbers should not have added up the way they added up at the end of the year. When you think about a a global pandemic and uh, unemployment, and you think about we didn't have church for seven Sundays in a row, and you think about negative oil prices, oh my goodness, 
you add all that stuff up and you say the giving should not be good. Well, this was our giving last year. You can see our budget and you can see what the gifts were. There's about a week left that didn't get added into that total yet, so it'll go a little bit higher. I look at those numbers. I kind of feel like I'm in the story with Elijah and the widow. And they just keep going back for a little more flour and a little more oil. And by all accounts, it should have ran out two months ago. And they keep going back and it's just there. There's enough. There's more than enough. I almost feel like I'm living in the story of Jesus with the crowd of people and he tells the disciples to feed him. And Andrew brings the little boy and he's got the little measly lunchable lunch with him. And he says, well, this isn't much, but maybe we can use it. And Jesus takes that little bit and he multiplies it. And not only enough to feed the whole crowd, but to have 12 basketfuls left over. To come to the end and say, we have more than we actually needed. On paper, the math really just shouldn't add up that way, but that's the way that it added up. And it's a result of two things. Number one, it's a result of you guys giving. Not just giving because you were getting something, because in 2020, you got less from us than you've ever got before. You're not giving to buy a religious product, but you're giving out of the overflow of God's grace in your life. That's how Paul describes giving to the Corinthians. He says, the fact that you're giving generously and sacrificially is a result of God's grace at work in you. Your giving is a sign of his grace. And so I look back on this year and I say, I don't know how we ended up that way. I don't know how we ended up with more money in the bank than we started the year, which still isn't a ton, but it happened. God did it, and he did it through you. His grace was real in your life, and you guys were faithful in your stewardship. And I just want to say thank you for that. And on behalf of Chris and Lisa, who lead Nourishing the Nations, I want to say thank you as well. Nourishing the Nations is a, a nonprofit organization that Chris and Lisa started. It's completely separate from our church. Uh, it's not mixed together. It's its own nonprofit organization registered in the United States, registered in Kenya where we do ministry. And Chris has texted me and emailed me a couple of times over the last couple of weeks, and he said, I don't know how we're ending the year the way we're ending it, but we just got more money. Somebody just gave this much money. We have this much money. We're closer to being able to do this project. And I know it's been the same sort of story that it's been at our church with Nourishing the Nations. And Chris and Lisa, on behalf of them and the leadership of Nourishing the Nations, I just say thank you to you. Because Chris and Lisa are here, so many of you give to that organization. I look at our world missions offering, and I say, this is not the year that we should have given that much money. How did that happen? negative oil prices, people out of work, church being closed up. How did that happen at the end of the year? I think we ought to just look back and say, God, thank you for your grace at work in our lives, and thank you for your provision for our church and for our family. So number one, giving. Number two, I just want to look back and say a quick word about facilities. Uh, we don't have the best building of all churches in Odessa, I don't have to tell you that, but we are blessed with the facility we have, and we want to be good stewards of the facility God has entrusted to us, and I just want to say thank you because of your giving, we're able to do several things over this last year. One of the things we did is we renovated our fellowship halls, large and small, and we renovated the kitchen. All of that was done with money that was left over in 2019. We got to the end of the year. 
you guys had given very generously. We had this money left over, and we just set that aside, and we said, we're going to renovate these two spaces. If you've been around our church very long at all, you know we use those rooms, the fellowship halls in the kitchen, all the time. They serve during the week and Mother's Day out as an indoor soccer field. They get converted in moments of loss to a place where we minister and serve funeral meals. We have Bible studies in there. We do all kinds of stuff in those rooms. And here's the deal. When you do all kinds of stuff in a room, it gets beaten up and it gets dirty and there's a soccer ball smashed up against the wall and the, the baseboards look uh, dingy and the kitchen starts to fall apart. And every now and then, if you want to keep using those rooms for ministry, you fix them up. And so we've done that. And I'll be honest with you, as a neat freak, there's part of me that looks over the last couple of months and says, man, we fixed these rooms up and they still look brand new. We haven't done much of anything in those rooms. That's kind of nice. They've stayed nice for several months. There's another part of me that says, let's mess them up. Like, you know, don't spray graffiti on the wall or anything like that, but let's do ministry. Let's use those rooms for the reason we have those rooms, to minister to people, to serve people. And as we do that, those rooms get messed up. We don't take care of this building to make it some sort of museum. We take care of this building so that we continue to do ministry as a church family. And so we look back and we say, Lord, thank you we're able to do that. Those were planned expenses. We had a couple of expenses that were most certainly not planned. In March, we started calling our uh, audio-visual lighting guys and said, hey, we need cameras and we need a computer for a live stream and we need a video switcher and we need all this stuff we didn't know that we needed and that stuff was hard to get at the time. A couple of weeks ago, we had a Sunday, you remember, where our sound system died and I just screamed at you during the sermon and we sang as loud as we could but we had to fix part of our sound system to make it work. You remember a couple of weeks ago, our projectors died. We called the guys in for routine maintenance. They killed the projectors. It might have been intentional. I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to sell us new projectors. But they did. They sold us new projectors. And here's the deal. None of that was planned. All of that stuff's expensive. I don't know the last time you bought uh, big industrial projectors and amps and live stream equipment. But it's not cheap. You can get it cheap, but what you get is cheap. And so to get what we needed, it cost Money, and that was money that we hadn't planned to spend, money that we didn't know that we would have on hand. And guess what? When we needed it, we had it. God provided. Not just so that we can have nicer projectors, not just so that we can have great cameras, but so that we can continue to minister to the people that God has entrusted to us. So we look back on that, we think about our facility, and we say, Lord, we are thankful that we have a place to meet together. Your word says we need to meet together. Where are we going to do that? Well, this is where our church family does that. And so we're thankful for how he's provided. Now, one last thing I want to look back on and share with you a little bit about relates to staff. I don't know about you, but 2020 seems like a long year. It seems like years ago that Terry Everett, Miss Terry, came into my office and said she was retiring and they were moving to Houston. It was just a couple of months ago. It really wasn't that long ago. It just seems in my brain like it was forever ago. And we're thankful for Miss Terry. I think one of the things we ought to do on a Sunday like this is look back and say, Lord, thank you that you put someone like her at our church 
for so many years, and she served so faithfully in so many different ways and ministered to so many different people, generations of people at our church, and we're thankful for her. I had hoped that she would hang around a little while longer, but when the summer hit and circumstances were uh, what they were, it was the right time for her and Chuck uh, to both retire and to move. And so when Terry left, we asked uh, Miss Jennifer to take Terry's spot, and that meant we needed to replace Miss Jennifer. And so we asked Bailey and Heather to come on staff and divide that role. Look, I know over the last six months you haven't seen us, meaning your church staff and these ladies as much as you normally would have seen them. Uh, these ladies are doing a great job. Nobody expects anybody to replace Miss Terry. She's been here for decades and decades and decades. But these ladies are doing a fantastic job, and they're going to do a fantastic job leading the ministries that we have entrusted to them and asked them to take over. And here's why I mention this. We look back, we're remembering. We say, Lord, thank you for somebody like Terry who served here so long and so faithfully. Thank you for the influence that she had on our lives and... Even though we didn't know this was the year she was going to leave, you knew, Lord, and you have provided people to step into these roles so that ministry can continue without skipping a beat. So on that same note, one of the other staff changes that happened a little bit more recently, just a few weeks ago, is the Siegler family. Uh, Cricket has a, a new job opportunity, and the Sieglers are going to be moving to the San Antonio area soon. And we look back and we say, man, Five years ago or so, it was the perfect timing when they were transitioning out of Midland and we needed a youth guy and the Lord brought us together and we're thankful for the way that Hunter and Cricket and their family has been a blessing to our church. And we also look forward and say, now that they're leaving, we didn't expect it, but the Lord expected it, how do we move forward? And so here's the plan that we've put in place as our elders have talked about this and prayed about it. We're going to ask two men, Jake and Jason, to step into interim ministry roles beginning in February and running through the end of the summer. Hunter's going to be here through the end of January serving and working in youth ministry. So we've got Hunter through the end of January. Beginning in February, Jake is still going to lead worship on Sunday mornings, but rather than doing worship in college, we're going to ask Jake to do worship in youth. And so Jake's going to serve as our interim youth pastor from February at least going through the end of the summer. That leaves a hole in college ministry, which we don't want to happen. Uh, Jake's done great getting that ministry headed in the right direction. And so we're going to ask Jason, one of our elders, to step in as a bivocational pastor on our staff and to lead the college ministry, again, from February through the end of the summer. Uh, I'm sad to see Hunter leaving. I love Hunter. I love working with Hunter. Uh, he has been used by the Lord in our church in great ways. So I look back and I'm thankful that God has brought him to our church for a season. I look forward and I'm also thankful that God has prepared and raised up people who can serve in these roles. Jake uh, actually started in our youth ministry. He was a youth summer intern uh, when he first came to Emmanuel, and Jason has been teaching in the college ministry. It'll be an easy transition for both of these guys to step in and lead. And that gives us as a church uh, the feeling that we don't have to rush quite so much in filling positions and making decisions. We can let these guys step in and serve without missing a beat, and we can pray about how the Lord might have us move forward. So those are a few things I want us to look back on and also look forward to. Uh, one last thought as we wrap up. 
who we are as a church. This is not going to change going forward. Our vision statement as a church is a play on the name of our church, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And at our church, we believe God is with us for his glory, for the world, for our city, and for you. All of that is still true moving from 2020 into 2021, right? There are a thousand things I can't begin to predict about the upcoming year at church. Just over this weekend, people have texted me various questions about church things, and I think my most common answer over the last couple of months is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know when that's going to be back. I don't know when we're going to be able to do that. I don't know what's going to happen over the summer. I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. Here's what I do know. I know who God has called us to be as a church. And regardless of what the calendar and the schedule looks like going forward into next year, these are the things that we're going to be committed to. First of all, we want to be committed to the glory of God. The most central thing that drives our church or pushes us forward is glorifying and honoring God. Before we try to reach anybody, before we try to do an Awana program, before we try to do music on Sunday morning, before we try to do anything else, we want to have our focus set on, as a church, our desire is to glorify and honor the Lord. Secondly, we want to be committed to evangelism and missions. That's the God with us for reaching the world, and for reaching our city. We have no illusion that we'll reach all of Odessa this year or that we'll reach the whole world this year, but we're going to make a run at reaching both of those places, all of those people, people in Odessa and people around the world. Lord willing, maybe that's a phrase we ought to use more often these days, Lord willing, this year you will have more opportunity to be around other people than you did in 2020. If that's true, you'll have more opportunities to talk to other people about Jesus than you did in 2020. Take those opportunities. Use them. Lord willing, as a church, we'll do more stuff, not just for the sake of being busy, but because there's things that we want to do together and there's ways that we want to serve together. Lord willing, we do more stuff as a church. You have more opportunities to invite people to our church, to be a part of what God's doing here at Emmanuel. Lord willing, in the upcoming year, we get to send mission teams back onto the mission field. We had to cancel a lot of that last year over the summer months. We even had to cancel a small trip just a few months ago at the end of November, beginning of December. But Lord willing, this year we'll be able to send teams back to the field to reach people with the gospel. And you might want to be a part of that. One more thing we're going to be committed to. We're going to be committed to discipleship. Discipleship. The Great Commission is a command, above all, to make disciples. There's going involved, there's baptizing involved, there's teaching involved, but the heart of the Great Commission is making disciples of all the nations. And we want to be committed to that. We're not interested in just seeing you make a decision about Jesus. We want to see you grow as a disciple of Jesus. Men, you're going to have opportunities for that in the upcoming year. We have plans in the coming weeks to start a a men's Sunday school class. We have a couple of ladies' Sunday school classes, but we don't have a men's Sunday school class, and we need that. We're going to have that opportunity added soon. Men, you have an opportunity in the Emmanuel Institute to come and to study with us and to grow and to be stretched in your knowledge and your abilities to serve here in our church. So you're going to have opportunities, men, to grow as disciples. Ladies, ladies, 
You're going to have opportunities to grow as disciples. We have women's Bible study. It's about to begin. We have fantastic Bible teachers for ladies' Bible study. We have two opportunities. Sign up. It's an opportunity for you to grow and to dig deeper into God's Word. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have events that we normally have for women, things like women's retreat and table set with grace that look a little more normal this year than they had to look over this last year. College students, youth students, middle school students, elementary school students, preschool students, there's going to be opportunities for people to grow as disciples this year. I love being the pastor of this church. I love it. I'll be honest with you, the last year of being the pastor of this church hasn't always been the funnest. It was not a lot of fun to preach to empty chairs and Hunter sitting behind a camera right back that way and Hunter's silly comments at the end of the service every time we got done and we just ended and we just ended in silence. It wasn't fun. And you say, well, my job wasn't always fun. I'm a teacher. That's not fun. Or I run a business, and that hasn't been fun. I'm a student. School hasn't been fun. There's been a lot of stuff that hasn't been fun. Here's the deal. If we can look back on 2020, we may not look back and say that year was fun. But if we can look back on 2020 as the people of God and say, that year reminded me that God was in control and I'm not. That's a good year. If we can look back on a year like 2020 and say that year made me less comfortable here on earth and it made me long for heaven more, that's a good year. If we can look back on 2020 and say that year taught me just how important it was to have a church family. Not just to listen to a podcast or watch something on a screen, but to have a church family family. may not have been a fun year, but that's a good year, right? My prayer as a pastor of this church is that we move forward committed to the things that God would have us to be committed to, committed to his glory, committed to evangelism, committed to missions, committed to discipleship, committed to celebrating who God is and what he's doing in our lives. God can do things in us and through us in fun years, And he can do things in us and through us in not fun years. So I have no idea what 2021 is going to be like. It really doesn't matter because God is who he is and he's got a plan for his people and he's got a plan for his church and that gives us hope.